Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I am Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're discussing the latest ASRM COVID-19 Task Force update, which is update number 14. Joining me to guide us through it is Dr. Alan Penzias. Dr. Penzias is a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist at Boston IVF and associate professor at Harvard Medical School. He specializes in all aspects of fertility care. Welcome back to ASRM today, Dr. Penzias. Thank you very much, Dr. Hayes. There is a lot to unpack and unravel in update number 14. So we will get started today with what are some of the latest update highlights you want to point out? Well, since our last update, and this is number 14 over the course of the last year, nearly one in four Americans have had at least one dose of the COVID vaccination with 29 million who are fully vaccinated. We currently have in the U.S. three vaccines that are deployed under the FDA emergency use authorization, the Pfizer-BioNTech, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. And these three are among 11 that are being used worldwide. And we have some data in this uh, update on all of those vaccines, because clearly this is a global audience that we're, we're working with. And these and three vaccines also, if it, just so maybe listeners, again, because we're trying to dispel misinformation here, is that the, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine require two shots separated over a number of weeks, and then the Johnson Johnson is just the single shot. That's correct. And one of the other things that we know is that one of the big benefits of vaccination is now the CDC has changed guidance for fully, fully vaccinated persons so that they can visit other, other fully vaccinated people indoors without wearing masks, which is a big change over the last year. And we actually have a link directly to the CDC, so you can really drill down and see what the exact guidance is, because this is one of the more exciting things, being able to see friends and family again in limited circumstances. And that's a great booster and uh, motivation to get vaccinated. And we will also be providing that link directly in our show notes for this episode. Dr. Penzias, let me ask you then, uh, let's go to the next section here and let's talk about vaccine efficacy versus vaccine effectiveness and how there seems to still be some confusion between vaccine efficacy and effectiveness. Yeah, it's a great point. And then we really want to explain the difference because efficacy is how a vaccine performs in a clinical trial and effectiveness is how it works in the real world. One of the things we provide is really the astonishing data on how well these medications are now, these vaccinations are performing with efficacy and effectiveness, in fact, against severe disease, hospitalization, and deaths just by getting vaccinated. So that is having some of the big impact that we're seeing on falling hospitalization rates and death rates. And by taking all of this strain off of the medical system and having people even who do get COVID just not die is a monumental achievement in such a short period of time. And we have a nice table that shows these 11 different vaccines that are available uh, at different places in the world, showing what their efficacy is and talking about their vaccination schedule. So it's a good resource for our practitioners uh, globally to be able to reference. Of course, we are in the reproductive medicine uh, field. So what is what does the update have concerning vaccination and pregnancy? We continue to support 
all women who are planning for pregnancy, pregnant and breastfeeding, to get vaccinated. We know that there are some people who are out there who are hesitant, and the primary reason we see cited is that pregnant women were not included in the initial clinical trials. However, we've learned a lot over the course of this pandemic and since the rollout of the vaccine. We know that there is convincing evidence that the course of COVID is worse for a given individual if you add pregnancy to that individual. So we understand that the theoretical risk of a vaccine, given the mechanisms of action, is significantly less than the real-world risk of actually getting COVID. So because of that, we're still strongly recommending vaccination of pregnant women. Now, it's not that we don't have any data. And in fact, one of the great things that the U.S. Centers for Disease Control did was to deploy a, uh, a smartphone uh, data tool, an app called uh, vSafe, where individuals who are getting vaccinated can self-report their symptoms and side effects. They're prompted with a daily text message going to a weekly text message, going to an every month text message, and CDC has collected millions of data points so far. They've collected data on more than 44,000 participants who were pregnant at the time of their vaccination. The great news is there's no concerning data on different reactions, not only between vaccine, vaccine types, but also between pregnant and non-pregnant women. Also, as of February 19th, there were 275 completed pregnancies, resulting in 232 live births reported in the vSafe registry. And interestingly, the rates of miscarriage, stillbirth, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, eclampsia, um, and intrauterine growth retardation were lower in the vSafe registry than in the background rates. That's real exciting news. Agreed. And it's it's any healthy trend upwards is a good trend in general right now. What type of disparities does the update discuss? We've noted, as have other public health authorities, that uh, people of color have vaccination rates that tend to fall below that of the Caucasian population. So we recognize that there are some complex reasons why this may be, but we definitely are making a call here for improved access so that uh, people in uh, places or or people of color have uh, equal access and improve the access that they currently have, and also to work on building the trust to ensure that all people have the opportunity to become vaccinated and that they, they will help them with the desire to become vaccinated uh, as well. And part of battling that disparity is taking on the action, the, the hesitancy that we continue to see, which is very concerning. What does the task force recommend dealing with vaccine hesitancy? Yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting because, you know, for those people who, like myself, have had my two vaccinations, it seems to be very obvious that I would want to get vaccinated. But it's really important when encountering somebody who is hesitant about, about the vaccine to really validate their concerns, not to just dismiss them as, ah, you know, you should just go get vaccinated. But I think that uh, what we have cited here is that really persuasion is the key in combating vaccine hesitancy, and also doing so by a couple of things. Number one is debunking falsehoods. We know that there are some flat-out, absolutely 
fake and misleading things that have been put out in public that could scare people, and those we need to just debunk right outright, but also to provide sound, evidence-based information, and in combination with acknowledging the fears and concerns of the hesitant, continuing to provide them with growing data, and if somebody says, you know, I'm not really interested now, to keep engaged with that individual and keep engaged with that community if it's a community so that as the data accrues and safety data uh, continues to come down the pike and the benefits of being vaccinated such as being able to get uh, together with family and and small groups of friends you know hopefully over time we'll be able to persuade these individuals to join the ranks of the vaccinated and as always when more information just keeps coming all the time and it's good information. However, a lot of the information has to deal with that we are going to be living with COVID for for a long period of time, even after vaccination, even after possible uh, herd immunity. Uh, What does the task force recommend about living with COVID? Yeah, COVID will hopefully go from a pandemic to epidemic to occasional outbreaks, but it'll still perhaps be there sort of in the background. But something that we also need to be aware of is that when there are flare-ups, we should be able to be prepared to react to those, ease restrictions when things are good, bring them back if things kind of flare up. But another comment about living with COVID has to do with those who have gotten the disease. There are some who maybe, in fact, coming back to the vaccine hesitancy, feel like, oh, I've, I've already had COVID. You know, maybe I'm already uh, immune and I don't need to, to get a vaccine. In fact, living with COVID means getting vaccinated even if you've had the condition. And the other thing to be aware of about, the, uh, about living with COVID is that of long-haul COVID. There are reports that uh, there are a number of individuals, uh, some percentage of the population, who continue to suffer from a variety of ailments, neurological, cardiac, um, respiratory, other systems, long after the course of COVID has left. So because long-haul COVID is not a uh, trivial condition and is also can tax the uh, the healthcare system. It's something that we have to recognize in our living with COVID that preventing getting sick in the first place is going to be a real important thing. But also, if we are dealing with uh, friends, relatives, or even ourselves, that watching out for this long-haul COVID, which hopefully there'll be some treatments for down the pike and with a good uh, therapy, uh, help people live with or, or get past, but it is something that we have to be aware of. And for all of our listeners, you can access the latest update in the CDC link mentioned earlier in our show notes and also by going to www.asrm.org where all ASRM COVID-19 updates and information can be found 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Dr. Penzias, I want to close today with talking about one more uh, major point of update number 14, and that is the mental health uh, aspect of COVID. Yeah. And, you know, as we pass the one-year anniversary of the COVID pandemic, vaccines are slowly coming online. There's hope. There's also still some concern. We know that it's important to acknowledge that the mental health impact 
that the pandemic has had and continues to have on the fabric and structure of society. There are resources available to those who are suffering, whether they be patients, providers, and staff, to be able to recognize that this has not been a trivial impact on our life. And sometimes by recognizing that there is a significant impact that this pandemic has had, by encouraging those who are feeling these uh, feelings that they may have never had in their life before to seek help. And we have some some links in the uh, update that will help those who are looking for resources. Um, uh, It's just an acknowledgement. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, whether you're a provider, whether you're a staff member or a patient, that it's, it's important to encourage healthy mental health practices. It's encouraging. It's helpful to take breaks, to be good to yourself. And if you've um, been using or, or are afraid of uh, alcohol or substance uh, dependency, to make sure that if the COVID pandemic has kind of spurred that on, again, that you seek some help or speak to providers. And, and we as providers should help our patients with that. Dr. Penzias, as always, it's an absolute honor and thank you so much for taking time out today to talk about the new update. Thank you very much. I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today Series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.